Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I am Carly Guyman. We're your co-hosts. Today, we are so excited to welcome to the studio Rosemary Thackeray. Rosemary, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) We're glad you're joining us. Rosemary, we've been looking forward to this conversation with you for a while and now kind of have the right timing and the right topic. We're going to be talking a little bit about BYU Women's Conference and some other things today with you. As I was thinking about how to introduce you, it's kind of hard. You're involved in Mm -hmm. so many things, so many good things. So knowing where to begin, like I said, we'll be talking about BYU Women's Conference today. Rosemary is the newly named BYU Women's Conference chair. Women's Conference is upcoming on April 29th and 30th, so we thought this would be a good time to talk about that. Like so many events in the last year, this year will be a little different (laughs) for Women's Conference, but there are some exciting developments and changes that we're we're excited to share with our listeners about. To share more about Rosemary, she is the BYU Assistant to the President for Assessment and Planning and is also an experienced public health educator and professional, and we'll talk a little bit more about that and help listeners get to know you. Rosemary also served on the Young Women General Board under President Bonnie Oscarson from 2014 to 2018. So excited also to hear about some of your experiences and and things you've got to do as a board member. Just as a little background, Rosemary was raised in California and claims to be the favorite aunt of six nieces and nephews and one (laughs) great niece. And I think that we can just make that a fact instead of a claim. (laughs) We'll just say that that is so. So Rosemary, welcome. We're excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Rosemary, to start, as we mentioned, you currently serve in a senior administrative role at BYU. You are also a professor of public health. You have a PhD in health promotion and education. And from 2015 to 2018, you served as the associate department chair in the BYU Department of Public Health. We're always so interested to know what led women to their careers and to their passions. So will you just tell us why public health, why teaching, what have been some of your highlights in your career in public health and working at BYU? That's a great question. You know, I would tell my students that your life isn't going to be what you thought it was going to be and how you planned, but it's going to be better than you could ever imagine. And that's how I feel, that the Lord has just blessed me with opportunities and experiences beyond what I could have ever imagined. So I started out as an undergrad student at Ricks College, which is now BYU-Idaho. Mm-hmm. And then I did a semester abroad in Jerusalem and then ended up at Utah State. Go and Aggies. Yes, go Aggies. <laughs> And it took me three years of college to decide what I wanted to do for a major, and I ended up being a health major and a nutrition minor. And classes just came easy to me. They're things that I enjoyed learning about and doing the assignments for. And so all my degrees are in health-related fields. And when I was in my last quarter of school at Utah State, I started interning here in Salt Lake at the State Health Department. And I ended up working at the State Health Department for nine years until I went to BYU in the fall of 2000. So it was part of who I was, and I just always enjoyed learning about health, and I've always tried to exercise regularly and eat healthy. And so it never felt like I was going to work. I just enjoyed every single day. Mm -hmm. And how I ended up with teaching was I was 29 years old, and I was living in a condo, Mm -hmm. and it was a Sunday morning, and I was sitting on the floor reading the newspaper. Like, remember, you used to get the Sunday newspaper? (laughs) we used to do. (laughs) Yes. And I was reading the classified ads. And there was an ad for a professor at Utah State. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those light bulb moments where I thought, if I'm going to work for the rest of my life, I think that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I think I want to be a professor. And so 
when I'd finished my master's degree, I told my mom, I said, Mom, if I ever think about going back to school, just like tie me to the bedpost. <laughs> Tell me no. Because no. <laughs> I'd been working full time and going to graduate school. Very intense. Very intense. And so I started graduate school at the University of Utah. And I thought, I'm just going to get through my first semester of school, and then I'll tell my mom and my dad. <laughs> so you didn't tell them. So I didn't tell them <laughs> until one day I was needing to leave work a little bit early so I could go take an exam. And this is before we had voicemail on our telephones. And the secretary said, oh, you have a phone call. And I said, oh, just take a message. I'm on my way to take a test. I'll call him back. Well, it was my mom, and my mom rarely called me at work, but she called. And so the secretary told her, oh, she's on her way to take a test. <laughs> a test for what? Yeah. <laughs> and so my mom and I had a little conversation that night, and I said, oh, I'm going back to school. I want to get a Ph.D. and, you know, teach at a university. So that's how that all came to be. Had never planned to go to BYU as a career, but they came knocking and asked if I would apply, and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how wonderful. I ended up there. The highlights have definitely been the students. The students are the best part of being at BYU. And that's actually what I miss in my current role, that I'm not teaching classes anymore. Mm -hmm. But the opportunity to get to know students and to involve them in your research, in your conference presentations, and then they become friends for life. And yeah. that's what's been really most rewarding, to see them succeed in their careers and their aspirations and what they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have one student. He came and sat in my office one day, and I said, Travis, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because that's a common question mm -hmm. I would ask my students because that can help me you know, mentor them and guide them. And he said, well, actually, I want to play in the NBA one day. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> great, you know. And he did. And I had, Oh, that's amazing. And I'd gone to Atlanta one year for work at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and Travis was playing for the Atlanta Hawks. And I went to a game where he played, and we're still friends. Wow. And he was a bishop in Orem, and I went and visited his ward when I was on the Young Women's Board to visit mm -hmm. his young women. And so relationships like that are really the best part mm -hmm. of being at BYU and the students there. And so neat that these students grow and they become professionals and almost more like peers for you. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. people that you can work with and relate with. Something mm -hmm. else I really love that you shared that I think will resonate with a lot of people is that it took you a while, took you a few years, you said, to decide what you wanted to do. And I think there's so much pressure to know and to decide. And sometimes maybe that exploration and that time is helping get you to where you need to be. Definitely. And I'll tell my students when they come and say, you know, I want to go to graduate school. What should I do? I would say work for a year or two because that's going to help you decide where you really want to focus your attention. You'll learn that I really enjoy this, I don't enjoy that, and you'll know what graduate degree really makes the most sense for you. So it is a process of discovering where your talents are, what you enjoy doing, and then what doors need to be opened for you to be able to succeed. Mm -hmm. I recently talked to a group of youth in my ward about education and careers, and I just really felt like I should stress to not be so anxious about mm -hmm. knowing what you want. One of the questions was, did you know in junior high and high school what you wanted to be? And I was like, in junior high, no part of my current job existed even. <laughs> right. I just talked to them about find the things that you like to do and that you enjoy and you don't like something, it's fine to kind of change mm -hmm. and switch and you just don't need to be in a rush. I really appreciate you sharing that. I'm older than both of you, but when I was growing up, nobody really talked to me about what could you do as a career? 
My mom was a secretary at BYU before she got married to my dad, and she married at 29. And so I thought, well, that's what you do is you grow up and you be a secretary. (laughs) And nobody was talking to me about opportunities. And, you know, President Hinckley said the whole gamut of human endeavor is open to women today. And it really is. And so I think just exploring what your talents are, where your interests are, what contribution you think you can make to the world is just so important. Thank you so much for sharing. Rosemary, your professional background in public health lent itself to several very important and really timely assignments, I think, with the Young Women General Board when you were called and served as a member there. So we'd love for you to share some of the responsibilities that you had, some assignments that you had as a board member, lessons that you learned. And again, this was from 2014 to 2018. That's right? Correct. You know, people would often ask, like, what do you do as a general board member? It's sort of a mystery it, for it, a lot it, of people, I think. It is a think. mystery. And as you're aware, that they recently changed the name to a general advisory council. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I think is so descriptive because I would say to people, we're the eyes and the ears and the worker bees for the general young women's presidency. Mm-hmm. So that's what we would do. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite part was on Sundays, I would go visit young women wards. So our instruction was you could visit wards within a 100-mile radius of your home. And why a 100-mile radius is because our board had international members. So we had people from South Africa and Japan and South America. Mm-hmm. And so that gave us some parameters, say, on Sundays, visit young women wards with a 100-mile radius of your home. And that was really the funnest part of mm-hmm. it, is meeting these Actually am- <clears throat> being with the young women. Being with the young women who were just so incredibly amazing. And the insights that you would see, and we would take those back and say, here's what's going on in the lives of young women. And so that was probably the most mm-hmm. enjoyable, even though the, whole, the entire experience was just a pinch me moment. I remember saying to Rosemary Wixom, who was the primary general president at the time, I said, Sister Wixom, do you ever have pinch me moments? She said, oh, all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and that's what it felt like. Every experience, every assignment to speak or to do a task was just a pinch me moment. I can't believe that I'm here. So one of the specific assignments that I had was to work with a group on creating content for the preventing sexual assault and sexual abuse on the church's website. And that was a great experience working with, you know, Travis Bear and Nanon Talley mm-hmm. and Amanda Higgs and mm-hmm. others. Mental health professionals. Mental and... health professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I brought my public health profession and they brought their mental health professionals. And then there were others who brought the editing skills and together be able to talk about how do we present information that helps people understand how do we prevent abuse and how can we communicate this to a worldwide church? And that was one of those moments where my professional life and my church life came together. Mm -hmm. Because about the same time at BYU, I was part of a group that was doing a campus climate survey about sexual assault. And so my expertise in public health, plus my other expertise in survey design and health messaging, having that all come together, and I was working on that on campus at the same time as working with this group at the church about the same content. So those two activities were able to inform each other. I could bring my experience Mm -hmm. from work to the church and then Travis and Anon, who were really the mental health professionals, could provide that context as well. So that was a really rewarding experience. And then soon after that, Alan Rogers contacted me and said, we're working on this video about protecting children that everybody's going to have to watch. You know, would you sit on that committee with us? And I was happy to do that because, again, it combined my public health experience, what Mm -hmm. I learned being on the committee that worked on the content for the Preventing Abuse website and be able to combine those two and provide some insight into, okay, this is probably better how we need to say this or how we need to frame it. 
people won't understand that. So again, little moments that I could have never dreamed of, and yet it's making a tremendous impact on the church. And yeah. I just took that protecting children and youth training on Sunday because oh, I got great. called to a primary calling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's used all the all time, time all over the world. world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for callings like this, or maybe any calling that we have, we may think, why me? Why now? I mean, there's so many amazing women around the world. Why am I sitting here in this chair? And there's a scripture in Exodus, and they're talking about building the tabernacle of the congregation. And in essence, the Lord is saying, I'm bringing all these people to you, and all these people are bringing their talents to build the tabernacle of the congregation. And that's what I feel like when we have callings. We're all brought to the table because of the talents that we have, and our talents are going to be different than what other people bring. And so comparing is useless Mm -hmm. because the Lord needs us to use our talents to build the kingdom. And that's how I felt in this calling, that I had different experiences than the other women on the board, but collectively we are able to help contribute and help Sister Oscarson and her presidency. Mm -hmm. Yes, amazing sisters and women that you got to work with. And that's just such a validating perspective for women serving in different capacities in the church or in different times and season of their lives or careers. It makes me think of a recent interview we did with Ruth Todd, where she was saying we layer the things that we learn, like our education and our experiences layer in our mm-hmm. lives. So as you were talking, you're saying, I was able to kind of combine these or bring in this and mix this. And I just can see that layering, you know, of your experiences mm-hmm. that just create this talent and skill that you have that you are able to apply in so many different ways. And I just loved that thought. Mm -hmm. And that's a great analogy. And I think that's how I feel with my current position at BYU. It wasn't a position that I applied for or aspired to, but it really is. It's layering those talents that I've had in the last 21 Mm -hmm. years at BYU and bringing those to a new position in a new way. Mm It's almost a relief for me to think, not just in a a church setting, but also in a family, in a career setting, in all these other environments that we're in, we don't have to be everything. (laughs) It can be a team effort, and Mm -hmm. other people can bring their strengths and their insights and their perspectives, and that makes a really beautiful whole that one person could never be on their own. So I like that thought. I know, Rosemary, that you also worked on updating what girls camp looks like. Can you talk about that? I just think that that's a fun project. Yeah. So when one of the first meetings that we had as a young women's board and presidency, Sister Oscarson leaned over to me and said, Rosemary, do you like camping? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, honestly, I'd rather stay at the Marriott Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) That's my kind of camping. (laughs) Yeah, camping is not my thing. But Sister Oscarson asked myself, and then Carmela Hooker, who lives in South America, and then mm-hmm. Janet Nelson, who was living in Brooklyn, New York at the time, if we would spearhead this committee to rethink about what the girls' camp handbook looks like. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. So it went from being an eight and a half by eleven spiral bound. Here's the manual for girls' camp to something that can fit in your scriptures, you know, really small and being principle based. And I think what I learned from that, again, is this idea that we all bring our talents to the table because Janet was an avid camper, loved camping, had spent years working, you know, in young women and going to girls camp. And Carmela brought this experience of being in the international setting and saying, this is what a camp experience looks like for women. Mm -hmm. This doesn't apply to us or this doesn't work for us. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like we don't have those resources. So we could step back and say, okay, what are the principles? What are we trying to accomplish at girls camp? And can we allow people to develop their own experience based on what we're trying to accomplish, which is build faith and testimony? Mm -hmm. 
And what I learned from that experience is something that Ardeth Capps shared when she came to visit with us one day. She said, you can have a really good idea, but the timing may not be right. And that's what it was. We'd worked on the camp guide, and it was under review, under review, under review, just kind of waiting. Just pending. Just pending. And then the time was right. And then it was released. Mm -hmm. And so what Sister Cap said is stuck with me, that we can have great ideas, but it's all in the Lord's timing of when those things unfold. And to not be discouraged, if, you know, if all your work and time and effort isn't being realized like, right away. Realized or like it may not seem valued. All in good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I love that because it is so applicable to young women all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it's helping them connect to God and connect to nature in the way that makes sense for them. Exactly. <laughs> Whether it's in Japan or the Philippines or South America, I think that's really neat. So one of the assignments that we would often have with young women is being assigned to go speak to a young women's camp or another similar type of setting. Mm -hmm. And one of the lessons I learned from that, there is power when priesthood leaders are present. And it's not that as women we can't do amazing things and we don't have authority to do our calling, but there's something powerful when the priesthood leaders who are over that organization are present. So this one time I had an assignment to speak at a young woman's camp, and it wasn't a traditional camp. They called it Daughters of Faith, and the young men had a similar type of thing, and they would go, and they called it the mountaintop moment, and it was like kind of preparing the young men for missions. And so this stake decided we want to do something similar for the young women, and we're going to call it Daughters of Faith. So it was like a two-, two, three-day experience, and they invited me to come speak. And I prepared as best I could. And then I showed up, and the stake president was there. And he was dressed in jeans, but a white shirt and a tie, and his counselors were the same. And he conducted the beginning of the meeting, and he'd ask them, what have you learned so far in this experience, and had this dialogue with them, lessons learned. And then he turned it over to me, and I did my part. And afterwards, the young women leader said, you know, on our way up, the young women wrote on little slips of paper, like, here's questions that I have. And they said, these were not like, I'm having a bad hair day kind of questions. <laughs> these were like serious questions. Really real and sincere. Yes. And they thought, how in the world are we going to answer all these questions in the next two to three days that we have with these young women? And they told me afterwards, as you went through your talk, you hit on every single question oh, that had wow. come up, which was a humbling experience for me. And I wrote in my journal afterwards, uh, Elder Kose had given a talk at BYU And he said, is there any more beautiful experience than to feel the influence of the Lord working in our lives, to know that he is there close by, to feel that he magnifies and enhances our natural abilities, thereby making us tools in his hands? I firmly believe that there is much more joy and satisfaction in saying, it is the Lord who did it through me, rather than saying, I did it all by myself. So I think this experience of having that state president there leading that discussion I hopefully was guided by the Spirit in my talk and mm-hmm. my presentation, and it was such a beautiful experience for everybody who was there. Now, could that have happened without the stake president there? Sure. But that and other experiences have helped me develop a strong testimony that women and men work together in this work, and that there's power when we work together and don't say, I have to do it on my own, but using that priesthood authority and that priesthood leader to be there to support what we do, there's power in that. No, that's exactly what I was thinking as you were describing this, that there is power in unity. And Mm -hmm. I think, too, that your preparation helped you be ready to be guided by the Spirit, 
to be able to speak to these concerns Mm -hmm. of the young women, that's a really beautiful experience. And yes, how amazing to experience being a tool to help serve, because that's really what it is, right? To serve and to help others feel God's love. And what was interesting about this event, so this was in 2015, so way before we were introduced to ministering. And what they did was they had the young women pair up, like visiting teachers, and we used to have, and then they would have another sister from the stake who came up for that day, and they met with her for a few minutes, and then these two young women went off, and based on what they'd learned from talking to the sister, they prepared a lesson for her. And then they got back together, and they shared this lesson with her. And the leader said, we are teaching these young women ministering. Mm -hmm. And I wrote in my notes to Sister Oscarson, I said, wouldn't it be so great if young women understood that Relief Society is about ministering, and then they wouldn't be afraid and think that I'm coming to Relief Society with a bunch of old women. And that's what we're doing now. We're doing ministering. And the young women are involved. And the young women are involved. So those stake leaders had a vision that we need to help young women understand what ministering and ministering like the Savior is like. And that's where we are today. That's so neat. I love that. I really think that would be valuable for young women and women across the board just finding out needs and serving and talking based on needs, that goes a long way. And that young women and women are able to do that. Yeah. That would have been really neat to see them. And Mm -hmm. it also sounds a lot like a mission to me. That's exactly what you do on a mission is (laughs) figure out what people need and help answer those questions and address those needs. So neat to hear the preparation that was happening for them there. Rosemary, last year you spoke at BYU Women's Conference as the incoming Women's Conference chair. I loved your message, and I remember being especially touched just hearing you describe that the Savior knows us, He hears, sees, and loves us. And you shared a very tender and personal experience of receiving comfort and guidance from the Spirit when your parents were both suffering from some serious health challenges and then both passed away within a week of each other in 2019. We would love for you to share how this personal revelation, really, this comfort and guidance that you received helped you through this really challenging time. Thank you for that question. What I shared in my women's conference talk was My dad was diagnosed with bone marrow cancer, and he did one round of chemo treatment. And in the interim time before he would have started his next round, they found a volleyball-sized tumor on his kidney. Oh, my gosh. And my mom had several health challenges. She had diabetes, some other things, and she also had some pretty advanced dementia. And so once my dad was diagnosed, it really took a toll on my mom. She had a hard time understanding what was going on, but I think once it clicked for her, it became very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know? Really heavy. What really heavy. And in fact, one day we were driving home from the hospital, and she said to me, I don't want to live without him. He's my mm-hmm. best friend. He's always been so nice to me. And so, as you can imagine, two people have been married for more than 50 years and were each other's best friends. Thought of one of them going without the other I think was just really hard on my mom. And so with diabetes, and she was insulin-dependent diabetic, that was a challenge to manage. And so we talked to the home health nurse, and she'd given us some advice. And I talked to my siblings. I have a sister and two brothers. And I said, I I just want to go to the temple after work today, and then let's touch base and decide what to do. So I went to the temple, And what I shared in my talk was I was sitting there waiting for the ordinance to happen, and there was this picture of this young woman kneeling in a flower of fields. And my mom loved flowers, and she loved being outside. And this woman had long blonde hair. And when my mom was young, she had long blonde hair. 
and she would put it in braids. In fact, her dad's nickname for her was braids. Mm -hmm. And I just had this distinct impression that there were so many people on the other side of the veil waiting to greet her. So she was the last sibling alive. Her parents had passed. All her siblings had passed. And I thought, they're just all waiting to greet her. And then I opened the scriptures. It was one of those experiences where it just falls open and there's the verse that you need, you know, which mm -hmm. rarely happens to me. In essence, the advice was just keep doing what you're doing until it's time and I'll take care of things. And so that's what we did. Mm -hmm. like, I just need to go back and keep taking care of mom and doing what she needs to do and, you know, to maintain life. Nothing extreme. We don't really need to change course. And within, I think it was two weeks, she had passed. Wow. We were thinking more, okay, if dad passes, how are we going to deal with mom? Mm -hmm. Because she can't live alone. You know, mm -hmm. It was going to be this new challenge. Yeah. You know, can she go live with my sister? And how do we make this work? And so that's what we were facing in terms of, okay, if dad passes, which we knew he probably would, how are we going to take care of mom? And the Lord had it all planned out. In the end, we didn't have to come up with a plan. He took care of things. Mm -hmm. In terms of personal revelation, I was listening to a talk. This was in February of 2020. Elder Bednar was talking to the Seminary Institute teachers. It was called you know, Evening with the General Authority. And one of the first questions that they asked was, what can you teach us about personal revelation? President Nelson is talking a lot about personal revelation. What can you teach us? And I want to quote what Elder Bednar said because it is stuck in my mind. He said, as we honor our covenants, we may have the Holy Ghost as our constant companion. We often talk as if hearing the voice of the Lord through his spirit is a rare event. And then he said, many people seem to believe the inspiration from the Holy Ghost is dramatic, big, and sudden. The truth is the Holy Ghost guides in still, small, and incremental ways over time. You will often not recognize that you're receiving revelation in the moment that you're receiving revelation. My experience in the temple, I think, was one of those big moments. That was an answer to a prayer that I had. Mm -hmm. But as I look back over that time period, I think it was more of the constant revelation that Elder Bednar was talking about. For example, there was one moment, one morning, and my parents had asked me if I would be the executor of their estate and have all the financial responsibilities. And so I knew you know, what the situation was, but this one morning I thought, oh, they have this one annuity. I've got to figure out what to do with it. And you're not really thinking clearly when you're in the moment of being stressed and your parents mm -hmm. are, are dying. But I had this distinct impression to call a man in my ward who does financial planning. And so I called him and I said, this is the situation. What should I do? He explained, this is what you need to do and this is who you need to call and you need to get this signed and filled out. I could have never figured that out on my own. But he was the person who had the answer, and I had that impression to call him and ask, what should I do about this particular annuity and how to take care of that? But I think a lot of the other things were just revelation as we live. And mm -hmm. I think that's what Elder Brenner talked about. He says, you're, you're kind of living in revelation. It happens. You may not even know that it's happening. In fact, when we brought my dad home, he was in a hospital bed. And during the night, he would kind of shift, like he kind of slipped down the bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we needed to bring him back up. And the Elders Quorum Presidency said, you know, what can we do? How can we help? And we said, well, can we call you in the middle of the night? Like, when we need to readjust Dad? And they said, absolutely call us. And so we would. I remember it was like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm calling the Elders Quorum President, who just lived a few houses away. I'm like, can you come help readjust Dad? Mm -hmm. So I think that was one of those little moments where it's like, 
revelation, yes, it's okay to reach out to the Elder Scorn Presidency. They asked how they can help, and it's okay to ask them it's to help you. Inspiration of what you Inspiration mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, we need help. I couldn't have done what I did without personal revelation during that time. I can't do what I do every day without personal revelation. But this idea that it doesn't have to be a huge moment, but the Lord is constantly guiding us. It's kind of like in Ether and the brother of Jared, he said, they were directed continually or constantly by the hand of the Lord. That's what I felt like in that experience, that looking back, it was continual guidance, and the Lord was in the details of our lives. I think we learn more about personal revelation through hearing experiences. And I think what you've done is teach us what you've seen in your life and what we can be watching for in our lives. And then I also think that those moments of guidance can become more profound when we look back and reflect on them. Which I think is a reason that journaling is so important. I have a written journal that I write in periodically, but I have an app on my phone that's a journal. And that's what I used during this time with my parents because I could do voice, text, you know, and just do my journal. And the ability to go back and look at those days and remember the feelings and the impressions that I had and what happened is really powerful because if I wouldn't have written it down, I think I would have forgotten a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But there's power in remembering and remembering how good the Lord has been to us. Rosemary, through such a difficult time, you've mentioned how Revelation really kind of sustained you and helped you be able to function and make decisions. We wanted to know if there's anything else that you would want to share with our listeners or to say to sisters who may be struggling with the death of a loved one. What else helped you process your grief and helped you through? That's a great question. And I think grief is a process. I remember people saying, oh, things will get better in time. And I thought, I miss my parents so much. I mean, they died within four days of each other. Like, I just can't imagine it getting better. And now, almost two years later, I can say it does get better. One piece of advice that a colleague gave me, she said, get a little notebook, and just when memories come, write it down in that notebook. Because her husband had died about three years prior. And so I did that. My parents died at the end of July, and I had a trip planned to San Diego in August. And I thought, well, I'm still going to take that trip. And I took my notebook with me, and I wrote a lot during that time. I remember sitting on this bench near the beach, and this older lady and her daughter came and sat down next to me. And the older lady had white hair like my mom, and they were having a conversation. And the tears just started flowing because I'm thinking, that could be my mom sitting there next to me. And I wonder if my mom would have liked the beach. Mm-hmm. And But writing all that down in a journal is very therapeutic. And I still have it. I don't write as often now as I did before. But again, to be able to go back and look and reflect on those things has been very therapeutic. And I've learned that people grieve in their own way. That my siblings process this very much differently than I have. And that's okay. And Mm -hmm. it's okay to be sad. And it's okay to acknowledge that you miss somebody. And it does get better with time. But there's not a day that goes by that I don't think of my parents. Thank you so much for sharing, Rosemary. I think that's such a beautiful way to remember somebody's life. And then I think, too, moving forward, it gets easier. But then there's also times that it's like, yeah, I wish my mom was here. And I miss them at this moment more than I have the last few weeks or it just kind of I think comes and and goes yeah Mm -hmm. but we really appreciate you being so open with that I think that will be a real strength to so many of our listeners we would love to switch back a little bit to BYU Women's Conference which is such a major part of your life right now as it's coming up (laughs) pretty soon 
And we just want to know if you could tell us a little bit about BYU Women's Conference. And then we'd love to know for you personally, what is it that you're most looking forward to? You mentioned this year's kind of a little bit different. So what's new and different this year? Thank you for that question. Yes, BYU Women's Conference is front and center of my mind. (laughs) What's different this year is it's going to be all digital. Last year when the pandemic started, we also had to go digital, but we only had limited number of speakers. And so this year we have more speakers and we're going to have a complimentary piece and then a paid digital registration piece. So our complimentary piece will be Elder Rasband and Sister Rasband will be our speakers. We also do the sister-to-sister conversation with a member of the primary Young Women and Relief Society presidencies. We have messages from the primary presidency, the Young Women's Presidency, the Relief Society Presidency, Young so Men, oh, and Sunday School. Oh, so goodness. All of those organizations. And those will be available free of charge and also be translated in Spanish and Portuguese. So oh, we're really awesome. excited mm-hmm. about that. And then on our registration page, we have about 35 speakers on a variety of topics. There's going to be something for everyone. So we love gathering on campus and look forward. Hopefully next year we can be back on BYU campus for Women's Conference. But this is going to be an opportunity to reach more women around the world. Even last year, more women than ever heard the Women's Conference messages, even though they were Mm -hmm. limited in number. This is one of the blessings of the pandemic, to be able to reach a broader audience with the message of Women's Conference. Mm -hmm. People that wouldn't be able to come to Provo, Utah. Absolutely, yes. In fact, just the other day, Laura Lee, who manages our social media page, posted a comment from last year from a woman from Norway. Maybe I'll just share that. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's an example that through technology, we can still feel the spirit and still feel connected as sisters. Elise from Norway said, I am smiling through tears and so very thankful to be able to sit in my home in faraway Norway and partake of this beautiful BYU Women's Conference. Thank you for all you do, for the talks and all the love you share with us, the music, your smiles. I'm so very thankful. Oh, that's beautiful. So there she was in Norway saying, I'm feeling the spirit listening to women's conference talks. And that's what I'm hoping happens this year as well. A couple of things that are new. We did a call for music submissions, and we had about 50 people submit music that related to our conference theme, which is I Am a Child of God, His Promises Are Sure. We also did a call for people to participate in a virtual choir, and we had several hundred people submit a video for that. So there'll be a song for that portion. So that's new. And also our planning committee is new because we knew all our meetings were on Zoom, so we could expand our committee to be beyond women who are living in the Wasatch Front. So it's not the same as being on campus, but we're going to have the same experience with the Spirit. And I think that's really what's most important, that Women's Conference is an opportunity for women to gather either in person or virtually and to be lifted and their testimony strengthened both through the spoken word and through music. And that's what we hope happens. Mm -hmm. In fact, we have a sister who's living in Germany right now, and she's one of our speakers, which we would have never thought of before. We would have thought, oh, we can't have somebody from Germany come clear to Utah just for women's conference. But technology allows us to record her talk, and now we can hear her. So we can share that that experience. I love that. And we'll be sure to include all the information that people need to find this, but this is April 29th and 30th, right? Correct. So we'll do a live stream broadcast on April 29th and 30th. If you go to BYU Women's Conference on our website, you can get all the information there, but we'll make sure to share that Mm -hmm. with you Mm -hmm. as well. 
And so all the organizational presidency talks and then Elder and Sister Rasband will be live streamed on that Thursday and Friday. Then everything will be available on the BYU Women's Conference website, website. as well. Yep, but we'll share that. That's very exciting. Something yeah. I'd love for you to share, too, as you were saying that more people tuned in last year. I've lived in Utah my whole life and had never attended Women's Conference. And I listened last year, and I loved it. I loved your message. Kate Holbrook spoke. The sister-to-sister conversation was there as well. And so I do think for younger audiences, I think they think of their grandmas attending Women's oh, Conference. Oh, I totally went to women, <laughs> Women's Conference with my grandma when I was <laughs> Right, right. They kind of think like, oh, Women's Conference is coming. Well, my mom will really enjoy yeah, that. Yeah. So maybe you can share, who do you see as women that you're inviting? Mm-hmm. Who's invited? Who's yeah. going to be interested in this? Who's going to enjoy it? I do hope maybe you listen with your grandma and your mom. (laughs) We do want the grandmas and the moms, right? Exactly. Or your sisters. But women's conference is for everybody. There's not an age limit to who can listen and benefit from women's conference. So we hope that everyone will tune in. As I said, there's going to be talks for everybody. It doesn't matter what your age is. And I think often as women, we think, oh, we're in different life stages. We have different marital statuses. And so we think, oh, this talk or this situation won't apply to me. When in reality, we're all on the same path. We're just at different points along that path. You know, so a message, you know, maybe from one of the presidency members or from Elder and Sister Rasband, I'll get something out of it different than maybe my niece who's 29 will get out of it or that my mom may have gotten out of it. There's something for everybody. So we hope that everybody comes to Women's Conference to be lifted. One of the beauties of Women's Conference is just the sisterhood. I've gone to Women's Conference for years before I even came to BYU as a faculty member. Mm-hmm. But I always came with my sister. And that was really the best part is we would just hang out together. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Eat the brownies. <laughs> <laughs> the brownies, the fudge, sit in the sunshine and listen to these inspiring talks and be able to connect as sisters. So it's testimony building. It's friendship building. It's just uplifting, inspiring. And I think all of us need that, especially in this year of the pandemic. I think we're craving uplifting, positive Mm -hmm. connection and content. What's going to help build our faith and our testimony and our hope in something better? And Mm -hmm. I think that's what Women's Conference will do for women, just build that faith and testimony and friendship. Rosemary, you mentioned the theme for this year, and we'd love for you to share just a little bit more about what that theme means to you, what you hope the sisters learn from the theme, touching on our divine heritage as daughters of God. So the theme this year for BYU Women's Conference is, I am a child of God, His promises are sure. There's two parts of that. Part of it is our divine identity as daughters of God. The other part of that is, He has made promises to us, and those promises are sure. And sometimes we get in what Elder Neal A. Maxwell called the muddled mortal middle, and we forget that incredible promises have been given Beyond what we could even imagine, that's what the scriptures say. You haven't even conceived of what blessings the Lord has in store for you. So sometimes I think in the middle of mortality, we forget that the Lord has great things in store. And as Elder Holland said, some blessings come soon, some blessings come late, and some don't come until heaven. But for those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. And that's my testimony as well. I mean, there's blessings that I'm still waiting for. But I have faith and trust and hope that the Lord will keep his part of the promise. I just have to do my part and be faithful and honest and do my best, and everything's going to work out. 
Rosemary, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and share all of your experiences that you have and then help us get really excited for BYU Women's Conference. Thank you. Thank you for having me as a guest. It has been an honor to talk about things that are near and dear to my heart. BYU education, my parents, <laughs> yeah, and BYU Women's Conference. So we're excited for that. So thank you, Carly and Shaylin, for this opportunity. Thank you, Rosemary, so much for joining us today and talking about all of your experiences. And we really look forward to Women's Conference. So we appreciate your insight. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rosemary as much as we have and that you've been enjoying other episodes of the podcast. We want to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast and make it possible and encourage our listeners to continue sharing your thoughts and feedback via email or wherever you listen to the podcast, leaving ratings and reviews. We love to read those and we really take to heart suggestions for for topics and guests that you have. So thank you so much and and continue to do that. In addition to being available wherever you listen to podcasts, the podcast is also available on the Gospel Library app. If you just navigate to audiences and women, you'll be able to access all of our episodes there and continue to tune in, subscribe, and share with friends and family. Until next week, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. (music) 